Well, as we continue our look through this uh, great chapter, we have seen in the first three verses that even if we use our gifts to their fullest and preach perfectly and communicate fully, even if we give our lives to the Lord, unless love is the motivation, then the Lord is not pleased with our service. And of course, this whole chapter is just reminding us, Paul kind of takes a break and reminds us uh, why we have gifts. What's the important thing to remember in our service with each other? Not to look for the most prominent gifts that gives us the most uh, exposure, but to uh, the, the gifts are a part of helping us love and serve each other. We must also, uh, as we uh, talked about, be a people that examine our hearts and motives in all that we do. Because if <clears throat> love is what makes anything acceptable to God, then how can we not? Examine ourselves and examine why we're doing what we're doing. What is this something that is helping that person or is it just helping me? You know, what's my motivation and how does that relate in my love and service to the Lord? And if we aren't, if, if, those, if that's not something that we do habitually, then you can probably be sure that your service has, uh, goes off track at least sometimes for sure. So the first three verses of the chapter express the absolute importance of love and all that we do uh, if we are going to please the Lord. But having seen the importance of love, Paul now, starting in verse 4, more fully defines what love is. And as we'll see, especially uh, in the following weeks, what love is not. Um, because often when we define things, it's very helpful to uh, define, tell us to, to look at what it is not, because things often get mystified. And so if we uh, show what it's not, that helps us understand often what it is. And so Paul will do that. And probably one of the first things you've noticed when you read verses 4 through 7 is that romance and sex is not even mentioned. I'm talking about love, biblical love, the love that we're talking about here in serving and pleasing the Lord. Uh, romance Sex is not even mentioned. That doesn't mean that those aren't part of the overall subject of human of the human love experience. Those things are part of it. They're they're gifts from God, but they are more of a side effect of love. They are not a definition of love. But when love is being exercised properly, then these romance and sex are things that then are a display of that. They flow forth. From that, and of course, we see that the world has completely abandoned all biblical concepts of love, and they have made the act to be the expression of love. And they aren't concerned with what the Bible says about who we are to express that to. You express it to everybody you want to. See, they completely abandon what the Bible teaches about these things. <clears throat> if we know what true love is and how to express it. Then the physical side of love will take care of itself, both in knowing who to express it towards and how to express it, because both are evolved. We are not free to love everybody in the same way. There are different kinds of love. But the love, of course, that we're talking about here is the love that helps that person in a way that the Bible says is good for them, not the way we feel like it would be good for them, but with how the Bible uh, explains it. And so, for for instance, when we speak to married couples who might be having uh, problems in intimacy, for instance, 
We don't do it like the sex therapist who would be more concerned with the act, but we would begin with your love for the Lord. And how that is expressed, because how you love the Lord will be expressed in how you love one another. That's why the gospel is part of all good counseling, because that's the motivation behind it. I will best know how to please you and serve you when uh, my love for Christ is the uh, what's driving all that. And so in a very real sense, if we get verse 4 through 7 right, that will take care of our relationship with other people, whatever that might be. Understanding love, the, the basis of biblical love, will, uh, that's why, again, the Bible says, though, that the love of Christ is shed abroad in our hearts. Once the gospel gets hold of us, it takes care of that as we uh, act, out, act that out towards other people. But if we get verses 4 through 7 wrong, it will result in a myriad of inferiority, and superiority complexes, um, some that are he talks about in these very verses. So he, you got to get this right. It's, it's foundational to Christian living, right? Because love is a fulfillment of the law. So if you don't have love right, you pretty much are dead in the water. <clears throat> now notice also that all these actions are verbs in the Greek. You don't, you don't necessarily see that in the translation, but, uh, in the Greek, they're not nouns, they're verbs. So love, I think what we're gonna see here is only proven by our actions. There's a sense in which you can define love, we'll, we'll define it in a moment, but Paul really doesn't give us a definition of love, he just shows us what love is. And so here the focus is not so much on what love is, but what love does. Not, uh, just knowing but doing. So love is being patient. Love is being kind. Uh, it doesn't really matter what love is if you're not practicing it, right? So to, to better best understand it, you have to understand that it is doing those things. In, in that sense, it is much like faith that can only be assumed by a faithful life, not by adhering to a set of doctrines. That's what James was saying, that uh, faith, isn't just uh, believing facts. Faith is seen and proven by living a faithful life. A life, uh, interesting enough, that results in loving your neighbor and so forth, right? And so we're not interested just in the nouns. We're, we're interested in the action, in the verbs. And we also want to notice here that none of these are, Paul does not list a series of feelings. So, Please, I would implore you, if, if you haven't gotten to that point in your understanding and, and your maturity of understanding, do not define love by how you feel towards a person. But none of these speak to that. And again, that's how the world would grab hold of this. How do you feel towards somebody? But, but the Bible doesn't do that. We are human beings created in God's image. We are not animals. We do not act towards people according to how we feel or our impulses. And it's not that these don't have anything to do with anything, but it, 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 we don't start there. Our love isn't determined by how I feel each day. And again, if God was like that, of course, God doesn't change, so it's in a sense, it's, it, we don't have to worry about it. But 
if we under, we we see what the damage that is done by people by by a man who is feeling good one day and so treats his family with some measure of kindness is feeling bad the next day and and beats them or whatever right no that's not love doesn't do that so don't think of my I think do I love that person what do, how do I feel about them because that'll always get you into trouble. Probably our biggest failure as Christians is acting on feelings and impulse without first thinking things through. The epitome of our sinfulness is deciding how we feel about something and then acting rather than thinking biblically according to the word, according to what is right, and acting that out. Right? Can we, can we not be honest? Can we, can we be honest enough to admit that? That most of the time we get ourselves in trouble because we react by emotions and feelings and we don't stop to consider what would Christ have me do in this situation. How often is your speech guided by your feelings rather than your mind being transformed by the love you have for the Lord? Now, there's a sense in which we really ought to just stop here and go home because that's enough. For me to work on, uh, you know, but that's always the case, and so we'll, we'll move on. So another way to think of this is rashness. If you see yourself reacting to things solely on emotion and feelings, you know that you're failing to use your mind because God made us rational creatures. He gave us intellect. He gave us words and concepts to think about, to learn, to study. He did not. Give us emotions and feelings and say, okay, go out. That's kind of like your three-year-old. You, you go out and go out and do what you want to do. Well, who knows what's going to be done, right? Because it, we are to learn. We are to grow in our knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We don't just react by how we feel. That's what our, that's what our, the last couple of generations have been raised to sit at the keyboard and just, we have pages and pages of emojis in our computers, right? Just react. To, to whatever said, cancel them, whatever. Don't, don't, don't stop and to think about what you believe, to think about what they're saying, to, to think about what is right, to judge it by the word of God. Just re- just react to everything. And then one last thing to consider before we, we look at the, the, the verses in the t- context here is that this is also a portrait of Jesus Christ who, of course, did all this we love perfectly. And so we will, from time to time, look at some examples where Christ did uh, what we are studying here. And uh, that, I think, will be uh, good for us as well. Because we desire to be conformed to the image of Christ, to live a God-honoring life. And these verses are giving us the basis for doing that. Now, we have implied, but perhaps not stated clearly, what is the definition of biblical love and uh, I'll do that now uh, and of course you could there's myriad different uh, definitions out there but if you boil them down you will come up with something like this it is to seek the good and pleasure of another regardless of the cost to yourself it is doing it is not just desiring and if you think of course of the love of God that would make perfect sense First of all, love is concerned with what you need, not with what I need. 
So it's, it's concerned about the object. But the object's good as the Bible describes what is good. And so, and then love has feet. Love is not just seen in how I feel towards somebody, right? It is what I do towards them. I'm concerned for their good, and therefore I do what I can for their good. And so with having said those things, the first two things we see today are that love is patient and love is kind. Patient. The KJV has long-suffering. These are uh, two words that are used for this. Uh, generally speaking, um, uh, there, there's a way in which uh, some have uh, described the, the difference between these two. I'll, I'll deal with that in a moment. But the, this is not merely the willingness to wait a long time, which is what we think of with patience, but to do so in a godly fashion. Patience, well, godly patience is not just the ability to do nothing. You know, something's being done and you don't like and you're not going to do anything. But it is to be able to not do that, but to do so in a godly fashion. To endure hardships and wrongs without falling apart spiritually by complaining or retaliation. <clears throat> so Paul de- declines uh, giving a technical definition of love. And instead he provides us with a description of love. Uh, love is being patient. Love is being long-suffering. Love is being kind. And, uh, and of course, all these are, as you look at this, you, you notice that all these are things that the Corinthians have failed at to one degree or another. But we know not to cast stones that all of us are capable of falling into these very same things. But the first two statements describe love in verse 4. There are general. Here, the, you know, love is patient and kind. And Paul then advances to things not characteristic of love. It is what love is not. It, as we'll see next week, love does not envy or is not boastful. And uh, this just happens to be some of the correct the characteristics in the Corinthian church, but he, you know, he has to use some examples, so he's speaking to the Corinthian church. But finally, Paul concludes in verse 7 with four characteristics of love, none of which are selective or partial. In other words, he, he finishes in verse 7 with talking about uh, how that love is to permeate everything. There, there is to be no um, selectivity with love. We'll get into that as we get there. And certainly the Corinthians' conduct in these areas was very partial and very incomplete. There, uh, for instance, in verse 7, uh, they didn't bear, they bore some things, they didn't bear all things with each other. They, they believed some things, but not all things, and so forth. And so, uh, Paul doesn't cover every aspect of love in this passage, but he, he covers certainly uh, very nicely the problems that we've been reading about. And he covers enough so that we certainly have the building blocks to cover really anything to situation we'd find ourselves in. Now, if someone has this, uh, sh- uh, trying to explain the difference between patience and long suffering because there's, there's a nuanced difference in, in these, uh, uh, different words. And, and both, I think, are involved to some degree in what love is and what Paul's trying to say. But they said that long suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation that does not hastily retaliate or prompt, promptly punish. 
It is the opposite of anger. And, and he's coming at it from the sense that long-suffering is directed in, in, in a lot of ways towards a person's actions towards you. You're long-suffering towards a person. person. Whereas patience is uh, bearing the circumstances. It might be a person, but it, but it could be the general circumstances in which you are bearing up under that pressure and to do so in a godly way. So patience is a quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. And so it is the opposite of despondency, and it's associated with hope. I am bearing up underneath this because I know that it will get better. I know there's a purpose. There's something greater directing my life than just how I feel right now. But long-suffering kind of reminds us that sometimes we have to be long-suffering with each other. And patience is a more general term about how we've got to be patient under the, the, the trial. And when the Bible speaks of patience, it is usually not merely the willingness to wait a long time. Again, that's that's not what we're talking about. That, that That's sometimes the case, but Job would be the most obvious example. It, it, it was, he was not just waiting a long time. He was suffering while he's waiting. It is to do so then in a godly fashion to endure hardships and wrongs without falling apart spiritually or complaining or, or with retaliation. And remember, this is what love is. Love can take abuse. Love can take differences with each other and not immediately fall apart. Love can take wrongs and not immediately um, retaliate. Why? Well, because I know there is somebody watching over all this. There's a purpose in all this. There's something greater than the little tiff between you and me. There's something greater than the fact that you said something that hurt my feelings. And I stop and I think about the fact that Christ loved me. And while I was a sinner, he gave himself for me. And it says, you know what? I'm going to reflect that towards you. And I hope and pray that you will reflect that towards me because it won't be very long when I'm going to do something that uh, you're not going to be particularly happy about. right? And that's why a church or anybody, a, a marriage, cannot function if we don't have love. First for Christ and then for each other. And this is what, of course, making the Corinthian church uh, fall apart. And so while we think mostly in our interaction with others as here, yet we can include our interaction with circumstances because it is how we demonstrate our love for the Lord and how we endure those things. So it isn't just how we interact with one another. It is how we are to approach life in general. We are to be guided by the mind, which is guided by truth, not feelings and passions. And and I just can't say that enough because... Everything in our culture is screaming the exact opposite. But a Christian must be a thinker. A Christian must have his emotions under control. And if you aren't, you, you will be, as James says, or uh, uh, Jude, tossed a to and fro. Well, I guess it was James. You tossed to and fro, right? In every whim of doctrine. And so we are to be guided by the mind. We don't strike back. Not because we no longer have such desires and feelings, but because we are controlled by the word of God under the power of the Holy Spirit working in us in love. 
it's not that you're, you're not failing if you have feelings of retaliation, if you have feelings of anger and things that you should not have that are wrong. But the failure is not being able to, to rein those in and to control those passions. We are patient during difficult times, not just by staying in bed because we don't feel like facing the world. That, that's, that's, that's enduring, but in an ungodly way. I want to endure, I want to be patient in a way that allows me to get up and to face the problems I have and to do so patiently, not by running from them, but by serving the Lord anyway. Now, one commentator said something that I thought, well, you know, there's a problem here that, that I, 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 can't, I can't agree with this. <clears throat> he said that if we are patient, we have the ability to not get upset and angry uh, at wrongs and inconveniences. You say, well, that, that sounds pretty good. Well, I think it's an unrealistic goal. I think it's too simplistic. And it's somewhat misleading. Because it puts this unrealistic standard on us. It isn't just that as we grow in the Lord, we find ourselves becoming less and less emotional in our reactions. See, that's what he's saying. That, that if we are patient, we have the ability... To not get upset and angry. Well, <clears throat> as we grow in the Lord, as his love begins to consume us, and as we, you know, the, 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 uh, the doctrines of God's word and the Holy Spirit conform us to Christ, I hope that we do see ourselves not getting angry and upset like we have in years past over certain things. But while we're in this flesh, we're always going to have feelings of anger and uh, of being upset in one way or another. And so we got to be careful of thinking that, well, I'm only growing to the Lord if I don't have these feelings anymore. Because until the Lord glorifies our bodies, we're always going to have those feelings to some degree. And so our anger, for instance, might not be as strong as it used to be, because these things don't have such a hold over us as they used to. But I would add to that commentator's statement that if you are wronged by someone and anger does arise in your heart, can you calm yourself by the love of God and the word of God? See, Can I react? Can I see that anger in me and say, well, you know what? That's a remaining sin. But I love the Lord more. And I want to serve him. And so I'm going to say no to that. I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to be patient. Can you be patient when feelings arise? And so trying to suppress and eradicate feelings isn't the same as trying to be controlled by the love of God. You see the thing? See the difference there? There's a point where if we can eradicate feelings and all that, great. But, but it, there's just a sense in which we're not going to be able to eradicate sin. But if we can deal in a godly reaction way to those things, then that, now you've got something. <coughs> if you can suppress sinful passions through love, you're starting to grow in the Lord. It's a bit like Adoniram Judson, who was a, the famous missionary to Burma. And it, at some point in his life, he was having an acute bout with guilt. Uh, over some sin that he was maybe not doing as well with as he would have liked to. And so he felt he needed to be punished for his sin. 
And the best way to do that is to control to control his sinful flesh was to deny it any good thing. Well, that, that's not spiritual growth. That, that's monasticism. And the, the flesh will never be any less sinful. And so by saying, well, I have, I do sinful things, so therefore the way to punish my, and, and to mortify my flesh is just not to give it anything, good or bad. Well, how is that helpful? He, he, the problem is he had it backwards. The best way to control yourself is to love Christ more than your fleshly desires. You see your flesh wanting to do wrong things, love Christ more. So that you, so it's easier to say no to those things. You know, telling your flesh, you, you, you know, you can't have something that's good for you, you know, take a bath or whatever it is you're going to deny yourself. Well, what, what is that helping? It's not speaking to the heart. You don't, you don't mortify the sin in your heart by beating your flesh to death. Again, that, that's the monasticism. Interestingly, in the Greek and Roman world of Paul's day, self-sacrificing love and not avenging patience was considered weaknesses. It's unworthy of a noble man or a noble woman to not retaliate, to just take it on the chin, because this is a sign of weakness. Aristotle taught that the greatest Greek virtue was refusal to tolerate any insult or injury and to strike back. At the, at the, in retaliation at the slightest offense. That was being manly. That was showing yourself strong. Well, I can't help but think how much like our secular culture then we are like that the ancient Greek uh, world with all the lawsuits and council culture. The slightest thing, you know, we can't, we can't, nobody can make fun of us or disagree with us on anything or we just go completely ballistic. But for a child of God, our first concern should be the good of those that we love, even when we are sometimes taken advantage of, going back to our definition. In uh, Romans uh, 12, 17, we have something interesting. It says, uh, the ESV says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now here, the ESV uh, properly translates what the KJV says is provide. The KJV says you're probably familiar with this. Recommends no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. In the Greek, what is translated provide there has the idea was think first. Think it through first. And I think that goes along with what I've been saying here. It's not just that we don't strike back. To think through, to consider what honors the Lord. That's another way, because we don't repay evil for evil, because when we think this through, biblically, we understand that that doesn't usually uh, help anything anyway, except stroke our pride, but that we need to think through what the Bible, how Christ tells us to react to these things, and then do that, and to do that in a way that is honorable to all. People will see that, and we honor the Lord. Certainly Paul acted all this out, and over in Second Corinthians, if you want to just turn over there, verses there in chapter 6 that are just kind of see Paul acting these things out in his own life. 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 4. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves to, in every way, by great endurance, in affliction, in hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, 
riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech, by the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness, for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And there's, there's just so many good things in there we can talk about. But you, you just see how Paul has been mistreated uh, over and over again, and yet he is using all these things. He keep, he's keeping everything in perspective with who he is in the Lord, and he's able to deal with all of it in a godly fashion. In uh, Ephesians 4.1, <clears throat> I therefore a prisoner for the Lord, we urge you or urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You see, nothing there tells us to eradicate our feelings and emotions. It assumes sin in our, remaining sin in our hearts. But it's telling us, okay, think this stuff through. What's the, what, what's your calling? What you've been called to do? What it is to walk in a worthy manner to that calling? That is this humility? Is what I'm exhibiting gentleness and so forth and patience. You see, you've got to think it through first. <coughs> now, God Almighty can't be patient, or I should say isn't patient like that, because, like we are, because God is never under stress. He doesn't have to bear up under uh, stress and pain and suffering, because he's God, and he always does his good pleasure. But there was a time in which God did experience this, right? And that's in Jesus Christ. And he became a man, and now all of a sudden he's living under the effects of sin as he's being mistreated. And he's having to deal with pain and things like that. And and so the Lord, in that sense, learns patience, and that he, because of his love, for the, as, as Hebrew says, because of the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured. He endured death. He endured the crucifixion because he thought it through. He understood why he was there. You see, he offers us a primary, a prime example in this. <coughs> One famous atheist of the, in the 1800s would often stop during his lectures and say that if God exists, that he, he needs to strike me down in the next five minutes. And if he doesn't, well, then it proves he doesn't exist. Someone said of him once, did he think he could exhaust God's patience in five minutes? You know, that, that's what, because, because we, we're so full of ourselves, we're so impatient that we think that if, if I, you know, cry out against God, if God doesn't immediately do something, well, you know, he can't possibly be there. He doesn't care. No, because God has got a lot bigger things going on than your silly, uh, uh, statements, right? But let's apply it to ourselves. You know, God is long-suffering because he endures our mockery and our sin patiently for the greater good. Because he's got, he's going to, of course, save us from ourselves. But can we hold back our tongue for five minutes? God does it for millennia. 
can our patients be exhausted quickly because we're so we're much more important to ourselves than Christ is to us? But Paul says that love is being patient. It is and it's expressed in uh, the way we are uh, interact with one another. And kindness and patience are in the next one here is, is uh, kindness. And they're linked together in the Greek, kindness and patience. It, it as you, and you see that, it says love is patient and kind. So that's kind of a little couplet there. And, and in a sense, if you think it through, it's the counterpart to patience. Patience will take anything from others, and kindness will give anything to others for their good, right? So you can see that the, the play there. Patience will take anything from Others, kindness will give anything to another that is for their good. So to be kind is to be useful and serving and gracious. The point here is not that we always speak, you know, sweet, not offensive words. We're, we're talking about kindness. We're not talking about necessarily being sweet or tender, although that certainly would, be, would come into play a lot. <clears throat> it is to always be looking to be helpful. It isn't just goodwill, of course. It is active goodwill. It isn't feeling generous, it is being generous. Even in a dog-eat-dog world, uh, kind people will look how they can serve others and not themselves. And when we see, you know, for instance, people looting on TV, well, we know one thing about them, they're not kind. They're, they're looking for self at the expense of somebody else. And once again, we see our Lord Jesus Christ, Exercising kindness in Romans 2, or, or do you suppose or presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? So all these things together, not knowing that God's kindness has been to lead you to repentance. Do you not realize that atheists not realize the very fact that God didn't strike him dead in five minutes was an extreme act of patience and kindness, giving him the opportunity to repent? <clears throat> God isn't just patient with us and merely gives us a lot of time to sin. He is kind in that he has given us his son so that we might be saved from our sin. Again, love isn't just not doing bad. Love is doing good. This is why I say kindness is the other side of patience. You aren't being a patient Christian or in a Christ-like sense if you merely... Bide your time until you can get back later. That's not being kind. That's not being patient. Biblical patience ends in kindness. And so when I don't retaliate, it should be with the hope that I will have an opportunity to be a blessing to that person someday. And I think, again, we, we can stop right there and, and we've had enough. And we're almost done. Um, just a couple more verses, though, that deal with, with this subject. Titus 3, 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, again, <clears throat> it wasn't that God wished we would repent and be saved or anything like that. He was going to bring it about. He saved us not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, who be poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Patience and Kindness has feet. Uh, Matthew 11.30, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
And the word, word easy there is, is kind. Is yoke. Is kindness. <clears throat> uh, what God does for us and asks for us to do is for our good. It, the, the yoke, we think of a yoke and oxen being under a yoke as servitude and restrictive. And what Jesus is saying is no, that's only because you have fallen in Adam. Adam in the garden had a duty to the Lord. The Lord gave him a directive to do. And had he done that, he would have found that to be a kind and wonderful and blessed thing. To obey the Lord is always the best thing we can do. And it is a false understanding of Christianity to think that it is merely God not wanting us to have fun. Because we have restrictions. Well, the restrictions are only there because we're fallen creatures. Because we're hell-bent on destroying ourselves. And the Lord is graciously saying, no, here's my law. Here is my will for you. And you and all will be well. So God's laws aren't burdens. They are the way to fulfilled life. So I'll close with this. It can be illustrated, perhaps. I want to illustrate kindness with this. You can determine, someone said you can determine the kind of man, how kind a man is, not by the way he addresses kings, but how he addresses his servants. This is even more practical, because none of us have a king to address, and I don't think any of us have servants that we address as such. How does a man address his wife? It is sad, for instance, when a man will always speak lovingly to his mother, but he can't quite be like that with his wife often. And I'm saying this with my wife sitting here, so I just got to take it. You know, I'm not going to look at her in the eyes because you know I don't, don't need that. But in other words, don't say you love those that you are not kind to. God is kind to those that he should have judged. One way we can judge whether we are full of love of God is how we treat not those that we owe money to, not those that can do us a favor. Guys, if if you can only be kind to your wife at nighttime, it's not good. Don't fall into that trap. Ask the Lord to give you a fresh look at the cross and the kindness of God towards you because you've missed something. It's, it's, it's not how you speak to those that can do you a favor. It's how you speak to those who are dependent upon you. How kind are you to your children, to your wife? You know, you know and again, it works, it works obviously for mothers and wives as well. It goes for all of us, of course. If we notice that we tend to be loving only when we're trying to get something, then we're not doing well. We've missed the boat here. Being kind to everybody, for Christ's sake. Be kind to a little child. Be kind to to the elderly. Be, Be kind to everybody. Not because they deserve it or don't deserve it. Because Christ was kind to you. And so... <clears throat> That's, what I think, what Paul is getting at. And then next week, Lord willing, we will look at what love is not. But hopefully we have a little bit better idea of what love is. All right, any questions or comments before we... And I hope that kind of...
helps us motivate ourselves in the love of Christ this week. All right, thank you, you're dismissed.